Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, a look back at some of our highlights. And this week we found out about a new psychological counselling service for anyone who's been impacted by a breast cancer diagnosis. It's a result of a collaboration between two charities. It's going to be a great service. It's starting at the beginning of September. And you can find all the details on the Women's Day Facebook page. Uh, Also this week we got Crafty with Sue Quilliam, uh, probably less crafty than we thought we might be. We're not terribly artistic, but she is insistent that anyone can be, so uh, we were learning some new skills. And we also met the local author of the Manx Connection series. But first, we had a very special guest presenter at the start of the week. Bring women today. Click citywing.com. First of my, it's six minutes past two and this is Women Today with me, Christy Dehaven, and... Sean Sternick. You're not a woman, Sean. No, not sh- Don't tell anyone. We've lost Beth. She's away. And so, you know, I thought, who better to come on the show and co-present with me for the next couple of days? And I thought you... Oh, why me? Um, you're very entertaining, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to be... Hey, I'll have you know, I have some serious <laughs> women credentials. Go on, tell me about your credentials then. My credentials. My... Uh, I... I come, I come from a long line of matriarchs. Wonderful. Yes, very, very powerful women. Um, and I was, I was one of six men at an all-women's university. Wow. Mm. I remember talking about this when you were on the show last mm. time, actually. Yeah. You coped very well, though, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, you managed to get through it. Well, you're going to be uh, with us uh, over the next couple of days, so uh, we're very excited to have you. Uh, It happens all the time. Two people very much in love make a commitment to each other in front of friends and family with a joyous anticipation of a life spent together, sharing and shouldering highs and lows, maybe have a family. At this moment, all over the world, many, many thousands of people are celebrating their own marriage. In the US alone, almost 6,500 people get married every day. But when a couple got married in Ramsey this weekend... It made history. Luke Corrine married Zach Tomlinson at a civil ceremony at Ramsey Town Hall. Civil partnerships have been converted since the law was changed on the Isle of Man last month, but this was the first official gay marriage on the Isle of Man. I promise to love you and cherish you until death do us part. Work in Manchester. Both work in Manchester. We wanted to come home, obviously, get married here. So it just means the world was that it's finally been passed, and then we finally got married, and now we're actually husbands. Yeah, husbands. And surrounded by family and friends. Yeah. It's so lovely to read that. I just think the Isle of Man has come so far in such a very short space of time. And Sean, this is a story in particular that you wanted to bring up today. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I know, I know Luke and and Zach. I, I knew them. I knew them better when I lived up north, um, but I, uh, I know them. And when I saw the article, uh, I, I mean, pardon me, I just wanted to give them a big shout out. So congratulations, <laughs> Luke and Zach. That's great. <laughs> and, and actually, and a shout out as well to Mark and Alan, Stephen Cowell, because they last week they, what's the word? Convert, converted, they converted their, their yeah, civil, civil partnership, partnership to, yeah. to gay marriage as well. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, I, I almost use the word upgrade, but but the whole point. <laughs> no, no. But but that's just it. The whole point is that um, the Isle of Man is being a bit more progressive yeah. than even the UK because 
the uh, civil partnership and, and marriage are on equal standing now, both gay or straight or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, couples can choose choose between the two. So I, I, I wanted definitely to say congratulations to all involved. But I'll tell you what I, what I really like most about the article when I read it was the amount of space given over to Alan Shea. Mm. Because it this was, was an article that was in the um, Guardian, wasn't it? Yes, this was reading? the Arctic yeah. and Guard, uh, Guardian article. He uh, in night was it ninety one ninety two uh, made a uh, uh, petition for uh, for redress uh-huh. at Tinwald because up to that point uh, homosexuality was illegal. I know it's just crazy to I, think insane, about, it, isn't it? Really yeah. insane. Um, but he 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 did this, and and I can I, I can only imagine the courage it must have taken him to to be so visible in in what this article describes as a very hostile openly oh, extremely hostile, yeah, some of the some of the quotes society. and comments that were taken directly from um recordings from the day in fact that alan was up there are just shocking yeah, and I'll it just be... makes me quite ashamed in a way that i was you know i was here when that was all happening but it, 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 there was a, a wonderful interview with alan actually um in mandate earlier so uh, if you'd missed it i highly urge you to go back ed had a lovely chat with alan about the, the whole situation but um yeah it's just wonderful to see and you know especially as we we're talking about as well the idea that lots of television Television programs have now covered this and sort of made the idea of sort of gender fluidity a bit more open as well, haven't they? So it's not just about the idea of um, uh, same-sex marriage and being couples. It's it's everything really that's changing, isn't it? It really is. I, I the, the whole I mean this this decade, you know, so far feels to me like it's been all about um, social change in that respect. We had that Netflix show Transphobia, um, Caitlyn Jenner's very very public. What, would, what do you call it? Coming out, I, I suppose. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, the, in a way, sort of like that whole liberal, conservative, social values battles kind of shifted now. From I mean, gay marriage is passe, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> still, congratulations, guys. But 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 now it's all about you know the bathroom bill in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, and well, what I was most encouraged by in, in all of this, in all of this, it this made me think back to a, a class I w- was recently teaching with some A-level lit kids. And um, for them, I mean, this conversation, I don't know, you, you may discover that I tend to digress, you know, make that motion of reel it in, Sean. <laughs> but during this class, I, the, the, in the digressing conversation, the, the, they started talking about how gender identity is not really such a big deal for them. And I thought, oh, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. There's a generation coming up who who accept it and and accept what what fluidity of gender yeah, is something yeah. that's just kind of obvious and 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 all in all it just it gave me a whole new respect for Miley Cyrus and her effect on our impressionable youth <laughs> I'm not sure I can still respect Miley Cyrus but I do think that it's quite amazing Pippa you were nodding there do you think that um, students up at the college do, do you notice there's a sort of difference in the way people approach these these issues now it's quite interesting that things that were very important for my generation um, aren't. And it's, it is refreshing mm. when they talk about it and mm-hmm. or don't, actually. That's the thing. They don't talk about it. Because it's not a deal. Because it's not That's a deal. Yeah. And that is very refreshing. 
but we still have all the old issues going on in the background despite that. But yeah, yeah. some of these things are massive mm. and they are huge changes. First met our studio guest briefly last week as she was felting some knickers to throw at Tom Jones. I'm joking, <laughs> Sue William, you weren't really, but we did meet you when we, we were out and about. Yeah, you yeah, could have done. People did actually throw knickers. I will get over this, and I will, you know, did stop. They? Yeah, we were right at the front. We, we did they not threw see a Welsh them. dragon. I didn't notice people yeah. had actually thrown pants. Yeah, somebody kept, went off with an armful of pants. Oh my word! Anyway, Sue William is our guest. You didn't make any pants though to throw no. at Tom Jones. Um, lovely to have you here. Thank you very much for coming into the studio. Um, when we did speak to you last week, you were talking about Make Market, a creative industries takeover. Now that was launched at the Market Hall in Douglas at the weekend. There are events happening all through the summer. How have the first few days of that been? Great. Yeah, it was great. The place is wonderful. Um, I think I had 20 different crafters and artists and sculptures and there for the launch for the weekend, uh, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. So we had people coming in all three days. <clears throat> um, it was wonderful. It was, it was really good. Yeah. And it's a real mix of, of music. There's so much going yeah, on. Yeah, well, I have a, a lot of great friends who are really supportive of all of the creative industries and they always step up so we had um Ruth Kagan and and Matt Kelly and Lee Brooks and Greg Jockin and Hillary and there was there was so many Krista the Fectones um <clears throat> yeah it was wonderful it well, was we'll, really wonderful we'll talk a little bit more about that later but Sue as your accent gives away you are originally from Berkeley which is near Durham I just wondered what little Sue wanted to be when she grew up uh, I wanted to run away with the gypsies. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to go to Plessy Woods and, and hope they would, uh, they would take us away. But <laughs> I don't know, I don't, I don't think growing up in the 60s, late 60s, you thought much about what you wanted to be when you grew up. I, I, I think um, we went to school and we were going to go to work and, and I think that's, I, I, I don't think I thought a lot then. Certainly not as much as I do now. But um, any, I wanted to be an air stewardess, which I did for a week <laughs> on, on, a, on a training thing. Did you pass the test or did yeah, you I just did. decide it I wasn't did. for you? No, I, I, did. <clears throat> I did pass. But then I ended up um, <clears throat> working in Teen G. Allen as a, a learning to be a book buyer. I wanted to learn how to be a, uh, learn about books. This it is was a real old bookshop. Because you love reading but hate writing, is that yeah, true? Yeah, yeah. That's because I think I went to a convent school and um, most of the, the English was to do with um, uh, religion. And uh, then when I went to a primary school, the grammar, um, stuff like that I'd missed out on. Um, and I didn't think it was that important anyway at the time. <laughs> No, I hate writing. Hate it. Can I, I'm intrigued about the gypsy thing. What was it about being a gypsy that uh, interested you? What was it about their life? I, I don't know. I think it's in my soul. I still do. I love the festivals. I've got two campers. I've had loads of campers um, outdoors. And of course, you you know, the, the, the romantic, the gypsy life, the, um, yeah. Kind of freedom of it, yes, I suppose. Yes, yeah. it's, it's all that magic, isn't it? It's all the myths and legends and dragons and gypsies. And and you were saying earlier that you do retreats, so, so craft yeah. retreats. I mean, what, what do you think people really get out of this, particularly if they're not necessarily a very artistic person? It's just a lovely, relaxing day in a beautiful place. Um, and they 
will be surprised at how artistic they are actually it nothing's difficult and everything's relaxing what guarantee have i got that uh, what i make would end up looking anything similar to what you've made well, if you can have more than 100 percent, then you've got that you can make everything there Really? Absolutely everything, yeah. Really? And and more, yeah. <laughs> I always think of that Pinterest thing, you know, nailed it. <laughs> when you'd have it's a so picture funny, of, of Sue's beautiful mm. creation and mine looking a bit like mm. a dog's dinner. No, I've got a Facebook page and every picture of everything anybody's ever made is on it. And, um, and ev- well, not everyone, but a lot of the people have never thought in a million years they could have produced what they produced and took home. It's really important, you were saying uh, when we were talking about this last week, to keep arts like this going because, you know, we do live in a very throwaway society and and people don't tend to be, I suppose, that bothered about the quality of of the things that they have and even where they've come from. Why do you think it's so important? I'm passionate about the arts. I'm passionate about crafts and arts in schools and I'm passionate that we keep a future on the island. Uh, for my grandchildren and all of the other little children. I go around all the school, a lot of the schools and um, in a lot of areas where schools come through my daughters and um, and I can see the pleasure that children get from this creativity and if we don't support the creativity on the Isle of Man then we might lose it. So many people came to the Market Hall and reflected on when there was a market in the Market Hall and so now we created this market in the market hall, but we need to invest in that. We need those people to be supported financially and, and with all of their arts and crafts and um, and get people to, you know, step up and buy local and look out for what's homemade. Now, today is the 43rd anniversary of the Summerland fire. 50 people were killed and many more injured or left traumatised when the massive blaze broke out at the Douglas Centre in 1973. At 7.30pm this evening, there will be a commemoration for the men, women and children who lost their lives. I spoke to Tina Brennan at the weekend. Tina has organised this evening's event and she has also uh, organised Saturday night's memorial concert, which is happening at the Peel Centenary Centre. What is the reason why you specifically wanted to do it do you have some connection to to the fire well apart from the fact that i stood and watched it when i was 19 on the cliffs above the mer depot gosh that must have been a thing to see it was horrific to see and it always stays with me and it's i know it's stayed with thousands of people here in the isle of man Mm -hmm. because i've spoken to them well not thousands but hundreds of people and I've, i've always been surprised at their connections with it and it's always something I wanted to do but I've always waited for somebody else to step up and nobody ever has and I know there's been elected representatives or whatever that have decided against doing anything but this was a huge deal on an international scale can you imagine god forbid if this happened today you know I mean this would be a worldwide event and something so horrific it just doesn't even bear contemplating really every year I thought this will be the year somebody will do a commemoration and they, they, they never have so I thought, well, I'm getting a bit long in the tooth now, so maybe I better, you know, step up and do something. So after the 40th commemoration, I thought, right, we're going to do it. So we do the concert, and like I say, this is the third one now, and we also do a one-minute silence on the promenade on the anniversary, which this year is this Tuesday coming. If anybody wants to come down, please do. It's nothing formal. We just have a one-minute silence. This year, we've got the Ellen Van and Pipes and Drums coming down to play as well. Oh, brilliant. Presumably so, not while the silence is happening. No, uh, no, <laughs> no, just after the silence. So I'm very grateful 
to them for coming to do that. Sponsors of Women Today. You are listening to Women Today. It's just coming up to 2.43 now. Now, my guest in the studio today is an author who is very proud of his Manx connection. It is Graham Hamer. Thank you for joining us again. It's lovely to have you. Well, thank you for inviting me on, Christy. And we were talking before about uh, the Summerland fire, and you actually have uh, very distinct memories of it, don't you? I do. I was the chief cashier in Summerland the first year that it opened. And it was a fabulous place. The The one that was rebuilt after the fire was a, a little bit of a metal box. But the original Summerland was just an incredible, amazing place. At the time, it was the, I believe I'm right in saying, it was the largest indoor entertainment complex in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's been exceeded since. But it had bars and restaurants and shows and... Uh, a cliff face with parrots flying round and wow. it was an absolutely fabulous place and it did the island a lot of good sadly it only ran for that that first year and then a little bit afterwards yeah and, and it was it was tragic when that went and you you weren't actually there though when I wasn't, the fire happened. no I'd gone back to Norfolk from where I came um, and uh, I was driving down the road one night and I heard it on the radio and I had to stop the car mm-hmm. I really just couldn't handle thinking about the the well, I knew there'd be loss of life. It was just too obvious. But just the whole thing, the, it, it was, it hurt. It mm. really, really hurt. And you said as well that even the chap that took your job, unfortunately, he did he lose did, his life. He did, I'm afraid, yes. He perished in the fire. Mm. Yeah. Well, we've just had a message in from someone who said, uh, I saw the mayor of Douglas, who was a firefighter at the disaster, laying a wreath at the Sumlan Memorial this morning. Yeah. So again, if you would like to go down there and take part in that memorial service, it's this evening at 7.30pm, meet at the walkway across the road from the Summerland site. Now, Graeme, you are here, of course, today to talk to us about your books. So I've been told. Yeah. Yes. Uh, now, why are you so keen to include the Isle of Man in your books? Because they feature very strongly. They're almost like an additional character. The island's like an additional character isn't it really in your books i'm manx mm-hmm. and is that <laughs> the only reason that's, that's, that's <laughs> it. once you once you you do fall in love with this on i was chatting to sean actually before the show and sean's been here five years he tells me and in that time you start to the island man grows on you there's a fondness for the island a mm-hmm. real fondness for it and i think we're so lucky on the island man in so many ways um where's the graffiti there isn't any uh, or if there is, it's very good. It's well, yeah, but it's not. It's not. Um, it's not so obvious. And where we live in France, there's graffiti everywhere. Um, where's the violent crime? Don't but, get a lot of but this is an interesting thing, though, because your books, I would describe, we were just talking about the genre before, I think, Sean, you suggested gentle thrillers, maybe. <laughs> but there, there is there is crime, there is violence, sure. there is, and it's a lot of it's taking place on the Isle of Man. Is that your way to sort of make the <laughs> island slightly more exciting? Well, if I wrote about what actually happened on the Isle of Man, I'd get half a book out of it, probably. <laughs> no, you've got to invent characters and scenarios and situations, and maybe, just maybe, to the people who live over here and know the Isle of Man, it's actually adding an element of interest to the island. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. actually, that could happen. So also in the one I'm reading, uh, there's very strong female characters, and I'm interested to know, as a man, how you go about writing a, an authentic female voice. How authentic are they, Christy? I feel like they're very authentic. They? Okay, because yeah. I, I don't know. This is the point. As, as, an, as a writer, I have their conversations going on in my head. So I've got these two women, or sometimes three women, speaking to each other, and I'm trying to figure out how their conversation would run. Now, my, my, my own way of speaking is not the way they would speak, and I have to try and invent it, but keep it realistic. That one's, that one's quite tough. I, I find it much easier when I'm doing men. 
much more simple. Do you spend a lot of time earwigging women's conversations then? No, not really, no. No, when I hear women talking, I usually... Isn't that away. called eavesdropping or, or, or stalking? Yeah. No, no. I, I get, I get <laughs> Maybe in your world, Sean. <laughs> I get through the kitchen and make the coffee. Uh, so our studio guests, though, today uh, are programme leaders from the freshly rebranded Isle of Man College, which is now the University College of Man. Is that right? I got that right, yeah. Uh, welcome to Pippa Edmonds, and also we have Judith Crane with us today. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having us. Uh, We mentioned the name change, which is one thing. Also, the college is now affiliated with the University of Chester, isn't it? What kind of difference has that made? Well, the college has been affiliated with the University of Chester for some years. We have been running um, degree programmes for, um, I'm not quite sure how many years now, Um, but in the business area, we've been running an accountancy degree, a business degree, and uh, very recently, an events management and marketing degree through the University of Chester. And we work very closely with them. We get to go and work with them and talk to them about the development of the degrees, um, which is an exciting part of of working with uh, another institution. Yeah. And so does that mean that if you do one of these degrees on the Isle of Man, you're getting exactly the same thing as what you would get if you do it in uh, the University of Chester? Exactly. It's a University of Chester degree, but taught on Ireland by island-based lecturers. Fantastic. So, Pippa, just tell us a bit about both of your roles. So, what is it you do at the college? I'm the um, programme leader for the business studies degree, um, which has um, a name change this year, becomes business management degree. And um, my role is to coordinate the degree, the experience the students have within my area, and to do the communication with Chester. Um, For us, the practicalities of the rebranding to University College of Man is not going to have a huge difference with what we're actually delivering because what we deliver is going to be the same. And um, One of the benefits we have here is we're a small institution so we have a very close relationship with our students um, and it's all about the students. We don't get the students, we obviously we don't exist so everything we do is trying to be structured around the students and make it good for them. And do you think it gives them a little bit more sort of impetus knowing that they're, even just by name, that they're at a university? Does it, the grander nature of it? They love the idea. Talking to the students when we first um, announced the rebranding, they love the idea it's University College of Man. So they're going to have a degree now from the University College of Man and the University uh, of Chester. And they just love the whole University College of Man idea. They really do. I bet. And Judith, you're a programme leader as well. What is your area of expertise? Um, I'm programme leader for the accounting and finance degree. And I also look after the MBA programme as well. So um, a dual role at the moment. And so you both presumably have uh, quite established backgrounds in both of these areas. Did you both work in these areas before you were teaching? We did. Um, and that's one of the things we have in common with all our lecturers. Um, I'm a chartered accountant by trade. I've worked in many different businesses. I've worked in different educational institutions as well. And so we have very real hands-on knowledge. Um, and at the moment, I'm working full-time, so my whole focus is on my students and being at the nunnery, which is where we're based. Judith, however, has a slightly different background. Yeah, um, I'm born and brought up on the Isle of Man and uh, went away to university, did a degree in accounting and qualified as an accountant. So I'm one of those boring accountant people, but I like to think I'm not really that boring. Um, and I went into working at the Isle of Man College after doing a part-time teaching qualification at the college. So I've been working in education now for about the last 16 years, I think it is. Um, but I still, at the moment, um, work one day a week in um, an accounting practice that my husband and I run. 
So I'm still keeping uh, my links with the businesses out there who are looking for accounts and tax returns and all of those exciting things that we have to do, um, So as well as the teaching. So it's quite good. I've got a foot in both camps still. Absolutely. Now, of course, it is supposedly summer holidays right now, which, you know, <laughs> Sean as well as a teacher will know about this. Uh, does that mean you're essentially off now? You've got nothing to do? Well, no, wouldn't that be lovely? We, we just, yeah, now we swan around and we drink tea and have lunch. It's not mm, true, For the it? next eight no. weeks. No. <laughs> no, not at all. In, in fact, our colleague Sharon was going to be with us this afternoon, but she's actually um, interviewing prospective students as we speak. So, yeah, there's always something that has to be done for planning, recruiting, etc. So it's not exactly six months. Or, six months. That'd be wonderful, <laughs> six wouldn't it? Really oh, six weeks great. of doing nothing. Sign me um, up. <laughs> there's always something to be done. And, Sean, you know very much about this because you're supposed to be on some holidays at the moment, but you're not either because you're actually involved in this, aren't you? Uh, well, actually, I'm one of the... Students. Stu- well, I just finished. I just finished the uh, CERT Ed program at the Isle of University College... Isle of Man, and um, yeah, I just got my certification in the or er, uh, in the post. So you passed. Yes, Yay, yes, I passed. Right. Well done. Now, being told you have got cancer must be one of the hardest things to hear, and then to embark on a course of treatment while still digesting that news makes it even more difficult. And that is why two local charities are coming together to offer psychological counselling for people who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. These sessions are going to start at the beginning of next month. It's a result of a partnership between Manx Cancer Help and the Manx Breast Cancer Support Group. And to find out more, we're joined live in the studio by the Manx Breast Cancer Support Group Chair, Julie Stokes. Now, Julie, you've been through the ordeal of being told you've got cancer. Can you put into words what that is like for us? It's 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 terrible. It really is. A, it, you, your whole world falls apart within minutes. And um, some people cope with it better than others. Some people can get to grips with it quite quickly and other people never do. And it's not something now that the fear of cancer is possibly diminishing because, thank goodness, treatment is so much better. But that fear element is still there. I think I think cancer, the, the word, just scares the life out of everybody. It does really. Um, you know, like I say, some people deal with it better than others. Um, yes, it's great. More people survive cancer and more people come to terms with having cancer. But uh, some people do need that extra help. Now, we are also joined by the CEO of Manx Cancer Help, Andrea Chambers, this afternoon. Andrea, just uh, first of all, just give us an overview of what Manx Cancer Help is all about. Well, we offer psychological support to anybody who's given the awful news, as you just described, of being told they've got cancer, which, uh, as Julie said, turns your life upside down. In a minute, you've got going along just living your life as we all are, with all your normal hopes and dreams and aspirations, and suddenly, out of the blue, you're told you've got cancer, which is life-changing, if not life-threatening. And so, for some people, that's a huge blow and extremely difficult to deal with. And Not how, everybody. how does talking about it help, would you say? Well, talking about it allows people to express their fears, which um, if you keep all of that bottled up, it's very difficult. But it's not just talking that we do at Manx Cancer Healthy. Um, our clinical psychologist actually finds a way for people to find coping strategies. So ways we can't change the outcome or the diagnosis, but we can change the way that people think about it and learn to deal with their life moving forward. Uh, Well, also with us this afternoon is Karen Wagstaff, who's the Secretary of the Breast Cancer Support Group. Karen, thank you for being here. Um, Just tell us, first of all, how you got involved with the support group. 
Well, I myself was diagnosed seven years ago, um, so I too have been through what Julie's described, really. Um, and yeah, it's very, very, it just turns your world upside down. And what got you through it? Um, my family, really. My family were fantastic. Um, they all rallied around, they were all there for me. However, um, it does affect family members. Um, and one of my family members in particular did seek the help of Manx Cancer Help and it was phenomenal. So Julie, these psychological counselling sessions which we'll be talking about in more detail later, how did you come to a point to think this is what we needed to have over here? Um, we, we were approached by Andrea and Lottie from Manx Cancer Help. I mean, obviously they offer that service already to people, but we we thought that it would be better to be, to put it into the breast unit. I mean, our whole aim with the breast unit is that we make it, we offer the best possible service that we that we can. So, you know, these sessions will be offered in the breast unit one day a week. Now, this service is going to be run by Dr Lottie Morris. We had uh, Lottie on the show at the start of last year when she first came over. Just uh, tell us a little bit about her, Andrea. Well, Lottie's been with us, um, which should be two years in October. Um, <clears throat> she qualified in, in Bath University and she's a, a doctor of... Uh, she's a clinical psychologist. She's a great person, great character and... Um, very innovative and brilliant clinical psychologist. You know, we have such positive feedback from everybody who's worked with her, who finds her um, easy to talk to, easy to relate to, hugely professional, which is the most important thing and um, a delight, I would like to say. <laughs> and Karen, when it comes to people talking and seeking help in, in this regard, I mean, is there a time limit on it? Do you have to have had a recent diagnosis? Absolutely not, no. It, it can affect people at all different stages. It can affect the patient at the time of diagnosis. It can affect the family at the time of diagnosis. Sometimes the family don't want to talk to the person who's been di diagnosed simply because they, they don't want to upset them anymore. They don't want to, you know, go down that road. So to go and talk to someone who's completely neutral is what it's all about for them and you know it gives them so much comfort um, I think the other thing is that as as time goes on sometimes people bottle things up and within maybe three four years they suddenly realize actually I haven't dealt with that very well and I need some help now and that's what this will do and in terms of a, a collaboration between charities Andrea I mean it's a, a great show of, of strength and of what can be achieved when uh, charities with the same aim work together Absolutely, there are a lot of uh, charities, uh, cancer charities, um, also on the island, and it's lovely to to work together. We're all working for the same aim, which is helping people through the most difficult time in their lives. So if we can do that together and make the experience easier in any way, then that's what we should be doing. So Julie, just go through again for us who is going to be eligible for support in this. Anybody, anybody who's having a having a problem anybody who just isn't I mean Karen was talking earlier about you know your family and your friends being very supportive that that's we've got to remember there are some people out there who haven't got any family they're they're, they're alone they're you know they're faced with this and mm. you know it, it, it's horrendous and, and as Karen said it goes on for years because you're forever you know you, you've always got the worry of am I going to get it again is it going to come back what you know what's going to happen mm -hmm. next and people also are living with the effects of the treatment that they've had, mm -hmm. you know, to cure the cancer. You know, sometimes that can go on and that can give them problems Absolutely. as well. So, you know. Has to be an outlet, doesn't there? 
There has to be. Yeah. And actually about 40% of the clients we see at Manx Cancer help our family members. So the service would be available not just to the person who's got the illness, to but anyone who loves them. Because as Karen mm. said, it's incredibly difficult for those people too. I think it does, yes. I mean, this uh, this hasn't surprised us at all. We are very indebted to lastminute.com for putting this research together um, and underpinning what naturist people across the UK already know. Uh, there are a lot more people getting involved. We're getting over our hang-ups. We're realising that there's some great health benefits to sunbathing and swimming without any clothes on. And why shouldn't we? Let's get over those Victorian values and, and realise that we're now in the 21st century. Now, what sort of figures are we talking about here about people who are actually deciding, you know what, I'm just going to throw those clothes up and just go naked? Exactly. We're talking about 59% of Brits considering going on a, a naturist holiday or sunbathing in the buff or visiting a, a naturist beach. And when you say considering, I'm sure that a hell of a proportion of that have already done it and realised what a lovely thing it is. I mean, we're British Naturism, a, a volunteer organisation that sells memberships and provides services. You can see bn.org.uk for the details. And we're finding lots and lots of people in the summer come and join us. And when you ask them how they found us, they say... We found a beach on holiday, never expected to go nude, saw everybody without their clothes on, thought that it looked like a wonderful, relaxing thing to do, took our trunks off, stripped off our bikinis and we've thrown them away. We don't need them anymore. So presumably then it's quite liberating, but maybe the first time you do it, there must be an element of self-consciousness there as well. I think you're absolutely right. Of course there must be. You know, you take yourself out of that context that you're normally wearing your clothes. You've never been naked in public before. There is this stigma, this whole taboo about our private parts. Of course there is. But I hear it time and time again. It's going to sound like a cliche, but 15 minutes in, you forget you have no clothes on and you forget that you're surrounded by people that have no clothes on because it becomes the norm. The funny thing is, shortly after that, period of time somebody else arriving on the beach with their clothes on makes you do a double take <laughs> so if you are in an area where other people do have their clothes on so perhaps it's not necessarily a specified nudist area you do have to be a little bit sensitive don't you to those around you who may not be quite as liberal as you are i think it depends on where you are i mean in the uk there is no legislation that tells you what you can or can't wear in in any circumstance and there is convention that we all do abide by you know there's a certain dress code for going to work and if i go to a job interview i'll make sure i've got my suit on a black tie if i go to a funeral but sometimes clothes are not essential and sometimes it's nice not to wear them. It would be wrong of us to say that there are no problems and sensitivities but at the same time we mustn't make the assumption that everybody who's on that beach who isn't naked is going to be horrified and shocked. You go somewhere like the Canary Islands um, and in fact they don't need any kind of rules or designation or, or discussion about it because you do as you choose and I have been on beaches in uh, Fuerteventura where I've been next to a, a, a clothed few people and then a little further along the sand there's a few naked people and then there's a girl who's just topless and everybody coexists because it's about your comfort level. So you don't find that sometimes you might have sort of families who are sort of moving moving away a little bit and going, no, let's go sit over here. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think so because, you know, in this country, I think it's very clear where those naturist places are. And generally speaking, naturist people understand the, the sensitivities, Christy, and they don't go somewhere where there's going to be other people because they like being with like-minded people. But it's interesting. Let me just challenge you and say how interesting it is that you've talked about a family. You've said it's a family that's moving away. There is this presumption that somehow, you know, nakedness is 
not for children um, and we take the opposite view we need to let our children see a lot more nudity because they grow up in this air of mystery not really knowing what's happening happening to their bodies and that has contributed very badly to the uh, the body image problem that I'm sure you agree is right across the uh, the nation at the moment with people feeling very bad about themselves when in fact there's nothing wrong with them Absolutely. In fact, when we were talking about um, Naked Attraction on the show earlier this week and the resounding uh, response in the studio was we should be so much more comfortable with being naked. But I suppose yeah. the, the problem with that show is that they're judging you when you're naked, which is, I think, is probably quite a negative thing. But It is. Uh, uh, suggesting that we only choose our, our partners on the basis of what they look like with any without clothes on. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm interested in personality and tone of voice and all sorts of different things, you know. But it's interesting how confident you talk about it here because there is something in this research that suggests that more than a third of people who are nudist would keep it secret. Why is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a problem. You know, I, I, I've said quite a few times, and let me say it to you, um, do you know anybody? Now, I know you and I have just become firm friends, but do you know anybody who's a naturist? <laughs> no, I don't actually, no. Well, I think that's wrong. You do, but you don't know that they are because yeah. too many of our people do keep it quiet. And I respect that. I understand the stigma the taboo, the Victorian values. But of course, the thing is, the longer that you keep something secret, the more secret it becomes. So I think people are worried that people are going to think that they're perverted or they're weird or they're eccentric or they're strange or it's ridiculous and silly. And and particularly if they've got some job where they need to have uh, some credibility. And that's all rubbish. I mean, I've been out I don't like to use the phrase out but you know since I took on this role that I perform these days and I've never had any trouble in fact people are intrigued and interested so I encourage anybody listening now who is a naturist person who doesn't tell anybody go and tell them because they'll actually be quite proud of you and there probably are plenty of people out there who have in some way been uh, naturist but not really aware of it because there's plenty of people out there who will go out on a, a beach party or something and end up skinny dipping isn't there absolutely right skinny dipping is something we've all done have you Yes, I have actually. <laughs> and, and how was it? Great fun. Feels it fantastic. Is. It absolutely does. Keep keep an eye out later this year. We've got a big skinny dipping event that's coming up. So uh, <laughs> we want people to get involved. But you're right, you know, and there is this this idea. People say to me all the time, what is a naturist? I say, well, I don't really know. You know, everybody will give you a different view. And there's a whole load of people just in the way that you describe that are quite happy doing things in the nude that would never consider themselves to be naturist. You know, I am. I want to be known as a naturist. I'm a, a card carrying natures I don't know quite where I put my card when I'm carrying it but you know that's how I am and I will seek out those naturist experiences particularly when I go to to beaches on holiday you know I'm not just considering going I'm doing it for years but there will be people that will find those beaches or or have the beach party or, or sit in a hot tub with friends or all sorts of things you know doing it nude and not necessarily calling it uh, by its name of naturism and there's many many more thousands millions of those people than we perhaps imagine there is that age-old adage, isn't there? We are all naked under our clothes, and that's something that maybe we should all remember. We should. Absolutely right. So if anyone is hearing this and thinking, do you know what? I think I'll just go bare all. Where can they find out more? OK, they need to go to bn.org.uk. That's the British Naturism website. All sorts of information there about clubs and swims, about events, about holidays, about all the things that are going on. It's a very, very vibrant scene across the UK. Lots of initiatives, lots of events. Fantastic community. I mean, I'm not saying that other communities aren't as strong. Whatever you do in your private life, it's nice to mix with people that feel the same. But a lovely community, very, very welcoming. And and you just, you know, final, final statement almost. It is about having your naked body exposed to other people but actually it isn't when you get there. So go and give it a try and find out what it's all about. All right. hey.
Thank you so much for downloading the Women Today podcast. As ever, we would love to hear from you. If you've got a suggestion about a guest we should get on the show or something that we should be talking about, please, please do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Women Today at manxradio.com if you want to drop us an email or you can message us via the Women Today Facebook page. And we're on Twitter as well. It's at MR Women Today. But until next time. Goodbye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being Shaw. Terms and conditions apply.